for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon, live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Sports Station 1460 KXNO, Murph and Andy at 2, Fanatics at 4, and then the Saturday morning pregame, Emery and Sean on the air tomorrow morning uh, at 8 a.m. We do have a homework assignment tonight, Mr. Condon. Okay, what do you got for Alex me? Smith's E60. Have you, are you up to speed? I mean, you remember the injury, obviously, course, it was with yes. the Redskins. Devastating. Devastating. Trent... By the sounds of things, this he came very close to dying. Wow. You know, I saw a piece in the Washington Post, I believe it was, maybe towards right at the beginning of the year, maybe the playoff Super Bowl time, something like that, mm-hmm. talking about it and going a little bit more in depth. But I, I guess I probably just skimmed through it, didn't read right. every part of it, and, and not realizing just how significant it is. So. This is ESPN. ESPN six thirty. I want to say it. now. I'm not. I don't think it's a. I think it's only half an hour. Oh, okay. It's not a long program, but uh, they got doctors and uh, it's just his rehab, his battle uh, to get back to some some form of normalcy. Uh, we got Governor, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, who's walking to the stage here. We'll get to her momentarily, but yeah, uh, here's the governor of the state of Iowa. Outbreak in Iowa. Let's go live to the state emergency operations center in Iowa for a total of seven thousand eight hundred and eighty-five positive cases. 85% of today's positive cases are from the 22 counties where restrictions remain in place. 516 of the 740 new positive cases are from Blackhawk, Dallas, Polk, and Woodbury counties. I am uh, sorry to report that we have had another uh, um, eight Iowans who have passed away due to COVID-19. Deaths continue to be among older adults and those with underlying health conditions. We did have 2,186 new negative cases for a total of 37,708. We have had 45,593 total tests conducted in Iowa, and that equates to a per capita rate of one in every 69 Iowans have been tested. 2,899 Iowans are now recovered for a recovery rate of 37%. As we've discussed throughout the week, we significantly expanded testing in Iowa. And in the last week alone, we have deployed strike teams and sent tests to long-term care facilities, manufacturing facilities, and the Iowa Veterans Home so that essential workers could be tested. We opened Test Iowa sites in Des Moines and Waterloo, and this has generated a high volume of tests coming into the state hygienic lab in a short amount of time. While tests are being processed and individuals notified of 
their test results as timely as possible, there is a backlog in the data entry process, which is how we get our daily numbers for reporting. This is being addressed and it will be caught up this weekend. I want to assure Iowans that there is a short this that this is a short-term issue while the lab is transitioning to accommodate not only a higher volume of tests on an ongoing basis but as they work through the validation of the test Iowa process. As with any new test, validation is a normal process of that process and it takes time and this is causing some delay in the test Iowa results. For Iowans who are still waiting for the results, we are sorry for the delay. Um, but you will receive your results this weekend. I also want Iowans to know that because of the large number of tests we've conducted recently, we do anticipate the overall numbers that will be reported this weekend. Uh, they may be higher than usual as we've seen in today's numbers. So please keep in mind that a high volume of tests conducted this week were among essential workers in communities or uh, facilities where virus activity is high. By working with these businesses and their employees to provide access to surveillance testing, we have an opportunity to identify and isolate positive cases, conduct case investigations to track the virus so that we can contain, manage, and then really understand the scope of it. And it does provide some reassurance to the employees. These additional tools are critical as we move into the next phase of COVID-19 and reopening up our state. So after eight weeks of uncertainty, Iowans will begin to begin taking some familiar steps forward. Today in 77 counties with low or no virus activity, restaurants, fitness centers, retail stores, and closed malls may reopen at 50% of normal operating capacity according to specific requirements or protocols designed to protect workers, customers, and communities. In all cases, businesses must ensure social distancing, increased hygiene practices, and other preventive measures that are consistent with guidance from the Department of Public Health. And across all counties, churches, synagogues, and other houses of worship may choose to reopen for religious services. In times like these, it's our faith that gives us gives so many of us the strength that we need. And I've been very impressed with how religious communities have remained connected even while they're apart. So whether you've joined your own church through online over the last um, several weeks or live stream services from across the globe, there's been no shortage of opportunities to gather virtually in prayer. Still many Iowans are eager to return to church. And over the last week, I've heard from a number of religious leaders across the state. And while they're grateful for the opportunity to come back together with their members, they're also aware of the, of the importance to do so in a safe and responsible way. Many churches intend to take some extra time to assess and change their physical space and adapt their services as necessary to protect the health and safety of their members. I appreciate the thoughtful approach of these decisions and also the thoughtful approach of those who choose to hold services this weekend. In, anticip in anticipation of returning to church, whether it's this week or in the coming weeks, I thought it might be helpful for Iowans to know more about the guidance for spiritual and religious gatherings during this time, and I've asked um, Sarah, Sarah from the Department of Public Health to provide an overview. Sarah? 
Thank you, Governor Reynolds, and, and good morning. While many social gatherings are still limited and entertainment venues are closed, starting today, Iowans may once again gather for spiritual or religious purposes. The governor's April 27th proclamation provides that churches, synagogues, or other hosts of spiritual or religious gatherings that do wish to resume in-person services must take special measures to ensure the health of congregants. The Iowa Department of Public Health has developed guidance to help them do this. It's available at coronavirus.iowa.gov at the top of the webpage. Places of worship must ensure social distancing of employees and congregants. Hand washing and hand sanitizing supplies should be readily available, and thorough cleaning should be conducted on a regular basis, especially for high-touch surfaces like door handles and armrests. We encourage the continuation of remote audio or video services for high-risk Iowans and others who choose to stay home but still wish to engage with their religious community. Smaller in-person services or outdoor services can also be considered. Some churches are even offering drive-in services to continue efforts to slow the spread of the virus. All congregants should consider wearing face coverings such as cloth face masks or face shields, and those in high-risk categories should refrain from attending services since we know the virus is still spreading in some of our communities. With the announcement that places of worship can reopen, we've been getting questions about what is considered a worship or religious service. Weddings and funerals are considered a worship or religious service, but funeral visitations and wedding receptions are not. Visitations and receptions must continue to be limited to 10 people or fewer. Iowans at high risk for more severe illness should continue to avoid these sorts of gatherings. And as Governor Reynolds has said, we are all working to adjust to what life with COVID-19 will be like as we move through this pandemic. We know this is a difficult time and Iowans need to continue to be responsible in taking care of their own health as well as protecting the health of our communities. If you do choose to attend a worship service this weekend, please continue to do all of the things that public health has been asking of Iowans. Continue to practice social distancing. Consider the use of cloth face coverings if you will be in situations where social distancing is not possible. Wash your hands and use hand sanitizer regularly. And most importantly, stay home if you are not feeling well or if you have been diagnosed or in close contact with anyone who has been diagnosed with COVID-19. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Governor. Thank you, Sarah, and I greatly appreciate, again, the work that the Department of Public Health continues to do to keep Iowans safe and, safe and healthy, especially as we begin to ease some of the restrictions and take those first steps to get life back to normal while learning how to manage COVID-19. So pastors, priests, rabbis, and other religious leaders are now determining how best to move forward to provide their members with spiritual guidance during this challenging time. Today, I've invited Greg Baker with the family leader to share what he's heard from pastors across the state as they prepare to bring Iowans back to church. So Greg, thank you for joining me today, and I'll turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Governor. Really appreciate you giving us the opportunity just to share what churches are doing all across Iowa. My name's Gray Baker. I'm the Executive Vice President of the Family Leader. And I'm blessed to be able to work with churches across the state. And my main part of my responsibility is leading our church ambassador network. For six years, we've been working with churches to develop relationships with our elected officials, bringing together the shepherds of the church, pastors, 
and shepherds of government elected authorities with the purpose to build a relationship as a person, as a shepherd, and as a partner in meeting community needs. And this COVID-19 crisis has shown just the need for that partnership. So these two institutions can be able to continue to connect with each other. Governor, I want to thank you for recognizing the church's autonomy and its First Amendment rights. And I want you to know, Governor, that we do not take those rights lightly. We also want to encourage Iowans that as well. Freedom comes with great responsibility. As Americans, we understand this when we look at our Bill of Rights. Incredible opportunities with great responsibility. We look at churches across the state. The attitude we are seeing is the attitude of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors. And Jesus came to not be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom to many. And that is exactly the heart we are seeing. Immediately, Governor, when you issued the proclamation on Monday, we went to work with churches across Iowa to make guidelines to ensure that as churches look to reopen, that we do so wisely with not only the members' best interest in mind, but also the community at heart. Most churches will be continuing online church services for the next few weeks, particularly in the 22 counties where we've seen the outbreak most severe. Churches like Lutheran Church of Hope will not only be continuing online services, the Lutheran Church of Hope in West Des Moines will also be assessing their entire facilities to see how we can move beyond just using auditorium space and taking advantage of all square footage. A lot of churches, as I said as earlier, will be continuing parking lot church services that the Iowa Department of Public Health issued guidelines on several weeks ago. Faith Christian Outreach Church Center in Mount Pleasant has started this several weeks ago and will be continuing these services for the weeks to come. Churches have also been taking advantage of small gatherings. As we know, connection in Iowa is important. And so is it in the church, whether that be through virtual small community group gathering or gathering in groups of 10 people or less. Praise Community Church in Mason City has been ensuring that these small group encouragement gatherings have been continuing. We know a very limited number of churches that are looking to gather in person as they want to move about this slowly and wisely as many businesses are across the state. But more importantly, Governor and Iowa, we wanted to step in to take care of community needs during this crisis. Jesus came to serve and we want to serve as well. Whether that be the need for PPE production, churches like New Hope Christian Church and Faith Assembly of God in Marshalltown are making face masks. Whether it be the growing need of food insecurity in our state, 58 churches led by Al Perez have been working together with the Food Bank of Iowa and the Des Moines Area Religious Council in the Des Moines metropolitan area. Churches like Westchester E. Free and Cottage Grove are holding distribution sites for the growing need of Iowans for food. In Cedar Rapids, First Assembly of God has partnered with the Convoy of Hope to distribute over 35,000 pounds of food to Iowans in need. When a communication came out from the governor's office that we needed more blood drives across the state of Iowa, 21 churches stepped up immediately and said that they were willing to host the blood drive. Quorum Deo in Davenport was one of the first to do so. With the growing need of seniors staying at home, that has not only included seniors in the need of meal delivery, but also the many seniors who volunteered to deliver those meals. North Point Church and Johnson Walnut Creek Church in Des Moines has stepped in to help replace some of those volunteers so they can stay home safely. And this is just a small sampling of what many churches are doing across the state of Iowa. And what we are hearing and what we encourage is churches will not only continue to operate responsibly in their communities, 
so they also continue to display the love of Christ by coming alongside their neighbors. Thank you so much, Governor, and it is an honor to serve here in this state with you. Uh, thank you, Greg, for everything that you're doing to help make the transition as smooth as possible and for the partnership and for all you're doing uh, through the churches across the state to meet the needs of Iowans uh, in various communities across the state in these really difficult times. So I want to thank all religious leaders for their thoughtful, responsible uh, approach, and I respect the decisions, and I wish wish you well. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. We did um, also receive some good news yesterday. Homeland Security and Emergency and Management was notified that Iowa did qualify for the Crisis Counseling Assistance and Training Program through FEMA. This program assists individuals and communities in recovering from the effects of disasters through community-based outreach and short-term interventions that help people understand their current situation. It helps them manage their stress, develop coping skills, and provide emotional support. It also connects people with additional resources to assess with other aspects of the recovery process. COVID-19 has certainly taken a toll on Iowans, and these resources are important in helping us recover and helping Iowans move ahead in these really difficult times. Uh, the Department of Human Services is working now on a plan with the Homeland Security to implement the program, and I look forward to providing more information soon about how Iowans will be able to um, access these services. And with that, we'll open it up for questions. With the uh, launch of Test Iowa and mass testing going on in so many different places, why was the State Hygienic Lab not prepared for such an influx in tests? Well, they are prepared, and as we've continued to see states, you know, the, the ramp-up process, um, that also includes validation. And so we're working through that. They're um, addressing the number of tests that we're being able to implement across the state. You know, throughout the process, we've been ramping up, and this is the next step in being able to increase our testing capacity so that we can, um, you know, really start the case investigation and tracing, isolate the cases, and do everything that we can to continue to manage and mitigate COVID-19 as we move into the next phase of reopening Iowa. So, you know, they're working around the clock. I want to take this moment to thank the individuals at the State Hygienic Lab, uh, not only with the increase in cases, and that was even before we brought on Test Iowa. We were seeing hospitals start to be able to conduct testing. We were seeing national labs come on board with different processes to, taste, to test. We're seeing the number of cases increase. And so their team is working three shifts around the clock to get these tests processed, processed and get the information to the individuals that are doing the case investigation and the contract tracing. Do you have anything to add to that? Okay. Governor, how are you, uh, how is the state hygienic lab or the uh, public health trying to determine uh, whether the tests for Test Iowa are accurate? You yeah. mentioned that they're, they're working on that. Mm -hmm. Exactly what is that process? What does that look like? And, and does that contribute to the workload? So, well, you know, it's part of it, but I'm going to, I'll start in and then I'm going to let Sarah maybe give some further details about it. But it's, it's a similar process that we did when we started testing for COVID-19. We had to get our state hygienic lab 
process validated through CDC, correct? And so remember at the beginning we were saying we had to send the test out until we had a certain percentage that had been validated. Um, and then after that process was validated, we were okay to start naming positive cases instead of waiting for that process to be verified at the CDC lab. So they that's the process that they went through when we first started uh, testing Iowans. And I think that was about a five-day turnaround time as we were walking through that process. And so now what they'll do is they'll use the lab that has been certified to validate um, the new Test Iowa equipment. So we'll be able to use the state hygienic lab process to validate Test Iowa because that's they were validated through the CDC. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, I think the only thing that I would add is that this is common. Anytime a lab brings on, you know, a new test or a new assay, a validation is part of that process. And so, as the governor explained, we did this when we the CDC test kits first became available. Um, you'll recall uh, what the governor was referencing, you know, the presumptive positives we talked about. We had presumptive positives. Those samples had to be sent to the CDC for validation. And so, with the Test Iowa equipment, the State Hygienic Lab is still in the process of doing that validation of the equipment um, to make sure that um, it's it's up to the standards of the state hygienic lab. And, and you mean send it to national labs as well? Every yeah. Lab yeah, every national, national lab, labs. everybody, LabCorp, the national labs, the hospitals, when they come in and start, you know, the beginning the ability to process their own tests, they also have to go through a validation process. So this is this is not anything out of the ordinary. This is the process that you go through when you bring on a new um, opportunity. Has there ever been any effort to track the people who asked for tests like early on when we didn't have any supply? They may have even been symptomatic, but um, you know, people were just told, well, stay home. You know, if you're not an essential worker, you're not likely to get a test. Was there any effort to track those folks and maybe even circle back to them for possible serology or antibody testing? I don't really know unless you want. Yeah, Kathy. I mean, I think that would be that would be um, in the realm of with somebody's individual healthcare provider. So, I mean, if they um, went to their healthcare provider and they didn't meet the criteria for testing, and they um, were told that you know test wasn't available and they needed to go home and stay home while they were feeling ill, it would be up to that individual to go back to their healthcare provider. And we've encouraged that all along. If your health deteriorates, you know, you should you should always continue to seek care from your primary healthcare provider. If you're not feeling well and so the department hasn't um, tracked those 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 individuals wouldn't have necessarily come to you know the attention of the Department of Public Health because they were engaging directly with their primary care provider and so the advice to anybody that was in that situation that is still might not be feeling well is you should always reach out to your primary care provider if you need health care even with the even with the test Iowa and we encourage them if your symptoms change to go back on and and manage that but on every page it says if you're not feeling well contact your uh, physician and visit with them walk through the assessment and then if they deem necessary you can go in so this is just another option it's not the only option there's still a lot of options out there for Iowans to utilize to get tested um, we're going to Ron at KWWL Ron go ahead Good morning, Governor. Thank you for taking the call. Um, you mentioned the delay in the test results. This question I have is really about uh, someone just getting the test for someone who sounds like they probably should qualify. And this comes from an email 
from a wife in Cedar Falls who wrote, Ron, my husband works for a nursing home, was exposed to a known COVID positive person in very close contact as he had to transport this patient to the hospital. Uh, then she writes, he filled out the governor's Iowa testing initiative form on the internet, answering yes to the exposure question, but the assessment said he does not qualify to be tested. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's watching here today. Can you kind of tell her why yeah. her would not qualify? Well, I would encourage. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Ron. Thanks for the question. I would encourage any Iowan out there, if you believe that you've been exposed or you have symptoms, call your physician. There are multiple ways that you can get a test. This is one tool in the toolbox to allow Iowans to go on, take the assessment, try to identify, you know, who should get a test and, and then make those available. But this is an addition to what we We've already been doing this is in addition to what our hospitals are doing and providing so we have multiple opportunities across the state so I would just encourage you to and, and like it says even on the assessment at almost every page if you're not feeling well contact your physician and visit with them and and they will help make the determination too if you should come in and get a test so you know I would encourage you to go ahead and call your physician uh, walk through them walk through with them the symptoms that you're experiencing and uh, they Hope, then hopefully would get you lined up to take a test. Next question, David Pitt, Associated Press. Yes, thank you. Um, so, Governor, my question is about the validation testing. I, I guess I wonder what happens if the, I know you don't want to think about this, but what if the validation test fails? Is there a plan B? Yeah. The only reason I ask that is because I understand from media reports in India that test produced by this company and a business partner did fail India's um, national uh, validation standard. Oh, I don't think that that's accurate. We can follow up with you, David, afterwards. But, you know, we're working closely with Dr. Bandela and the team at the State Hygienic Lab. As you just heard uh, Sarah say, and I say this is part of the process, it is not unusual. I don't think at this point they feel that they're not going to be able to do it. It's just it, this is the process that you go through to get the equipment validated. And so uh, we have confidence that they're going to be able to get that done just like they were able to do in Utah. We're doing it through the State Hygienic Lab, and so I'm confident that they'll be able to get that done. They're working, a, you know, they're working on it, they're running the test, and they're learning as they go through. And so hopefully uh, we'll be able to report out sooner rather than later uh, when we have that validated. All right, that was a portion of Governor Kim Reynolds' press conference. We will take a break. We'll come back. But before we do that, Randy Wayhofer is going to join us. I look forward to our conversation with Randy Wayhofer from the Iowa Cubs and just what hurdles uh, lie out there for minor league baseball uh, this year. KXNO and iHeart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword FAMILY uh, to 200-200 right now for your chance to win $1,000. That's FAMILY to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message. Message rates apply in this nationwide contest. I'm Miller and Condon till noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106 and their families. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. So we know May the 1st, Jays would have been in front in the East. Wow. Twins probably. Oh, yeah. Maybe clinched. 
You think Clinch uh, the magic numbers out there at this point, is it? I don't know if that's mathematically possible. <laughs> Reds and the Cubs would be in a hell of a fight in the Central. Over you love the that Reds oh, team. Oh, I do, and I don't think I'm alone. Uh, it'd be fun to talk some baseball with some box scores in the newspaper, oh. would it not be? Randy Wayhofer from the Iowa Cubs, guessing he feels the same way. Randy Trenton can, as always. Thanks for coming on. How you been, Randy? Oh, well, we're hanging in there. Uh, fortunately, you know, we've, uh, we've been healthy. Uh, from a staff standpoint and a family standpoint, so um, we're 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 thankful for that and thinking of those who aren't um, and and hoping for some good news here sooner than later for all of us. Yeah, I think May's going to be a really pivotal month for a lot of sports. Randy just has that feel, right? As we try to open things up around the country a little bit, and seemingly sports will be uh, following suit. Uh, so I know that. Um, oh, let me ask you this: How? How uh, close does Major League Baseball, uh, how um, communication-wise with their minor league affiliates, is it, I mean, I'm sure everybody's different, but uh, how close do you stay in contact with the parent club, Randy? Uh, Sam's had some regular communication with the Cubs player development people, he's told me, but most of it's just checking in to say hello. I mean, it's not like there's a free flow of information uh, between what they're thinking or hoping or planning. Um, and, and, you know, how that affects us, you know, we're, uh, you know, they, they want to make sure that everybody's doing okay. They want to, um, you know, they're, they're not allowed to help, you know, the rules in place between major league baseball and minor league baseball. Um, even if they wanted to subsidize us, that's not the way the system is set up so that there's none of that going on. Um, you know, so we don't have a lot of inside information, I think rightfully so, they're probably discussing anything and everything. Uh, and as soon as you share something, you know, it's kind of like a schedule. Even if the schedule stinks, the fact that it's in your hand allows you to prepare for it. Nobody ever votes no to a schedule, even when they're not very mm-hmm. good. So I think if you give people any tidbits of what you're thinking and someone likes it, if they change their mind or that can't work, um, that doesn't sit well with people. That's just kind of human nature. So I, I think as frustrating as it is to know nothing, it is the right way to handle it because you start giving people uh, a little bit of ownership of ideas, um, and when they don't happen, you know, that feels a little worse. Randy, we've talked, Ken and myself, uh, about just the dichotomy, the difference between what we see in major league sports and you guys at the minor league level, the the media rights deals that these leagues get. It's just about getting on television. And though having fans there, that is certainly a big component of it. The TV revenue is so huge for these leagues. How different it is for you and you know the, all these plans that are out there without fans in the stands, that's not sustainable. That's not viable for a, Cub, a team like the Iowa Cubs, correct? I don't think it would ever come to that um, because of all the reasons you stated. You know, the, you know, we would we would be opposed as an industry to a plan that said you need to do all of the work to put on the games, but you get no revenue from it at all from a business standpoint. That that makes no sense. Uh, you know, there is no TV money uh, or radio money uh, in uh, in in minor league baseball. Um, uh, you know, any any broadcasting that uh minor league baseball does is we're paying for the time and and selling it uh as a revenue generator there is a small subscription fee for milb.tv um you know that wouldn't even begin to pay for anything 
Um, and, and, you know, it, it's a growing part of what we do, but it's a very in its earliest stages of what's going on. So um, the one thing that I – the one scenario where I have not given it much credence is to us playing with no fans. I, I don't know what purpose that would serve, mm-hmm. certainly for us or for Major League Baseball, unless Major League Baseball were to somehow cover all the expenses of that which I get no indication that they're be interested in doing. If the Rays and Marlins are furloughing major league employees, um, how in the world would they pay their double A team to play games with no fans? That just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, but I think everything else is probably somewhere on the table, whether in the middle of the edge, I don't know, but, uh, that's the one that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Randy Wayhofer, Assistant General Manager, VP, uh, down uh, with the Iowa Cubs. Uh, Randy, if if Major League Baseball, and Trent and I have thrown this date out there, not because you know we have anything, and nobody does, but you know when we were thinking ahead, we thought maybe Independence Day, you know, the country's birthday, celebration, uh, America's pastime, all of those things connect those dots together. Um, so if Major League Baseball, let's say it starts on July the 4th, would Minor League Baseball start at the same time, do you think, or would there be a delay? Because there's usually what a week or you know two weeks maybe at most. The season starts in Major League Baseball and the minors start seemingly you know ten days later or thereabouts. Would there be that same delay? Or I mean, I guess it's premature to even speculate, right? Yeah, I, 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 the the consistent thing that we've tried to communicate with everyone is there are two factors neither of which are under our control as to whether or not we see baseball at Principal Park this year. Uh, The first most important factor is some condition in the world has to change um, that allows for testing, medication, vaccination, uh, some change in the handling of of the virus that gives the government and health agencies uh, uh, the indication that it is safe for letting people get together even on a limited basis from what we're used to, but certainly on a much grander scale uh, in some sort of stadium and and sporting event. If and when we get to that point, uh, and and I'm hopeful that there's brilliant scientists and labs in every developed country in the world doing their best Thomas Edison, flipping the switch as many times as they can until the light bulb stays on and, and gives us that for all of our sake. If we get to that point, and when we get to that point, then Major League Baseball will have to decide what is, you know, what's the time frame from that point that we need to get players assembled, to build up pitchers, to form a starting rotation, to get timing back, to get in some sort of competition shape. You know, we expect that's a three to four week process at at minimum. Uh, you know, so from the time that there is movement in controlling the virus to the time that baseball can start you know we probably have a month to figure out all the details of what we tell season ticket holders what we tell sponsors how different the calendar may look uh at that point uh, and and then we can we can go from there um you know so it's it's hard to say uh, because all of those factors you know will be dictated to us not things that we have any input on 
Randy, on top of this, of course, we have the ongoing saga between Major League Baseball and the minor leagues about what's going to happen in terms of the team's contraction up to 42 teams from a Baseball America report could be taken away. Not going to be an impact to the Iowa Cubs, but you still have that sitting there on the back burner. What's going to happen there? Maybe good news, though, for the Iowa Cubs for you guys is maybe a reconfigured type of league and not going to have to make those same trips that you do in the PCL. You know, I mean, certainly that is one of our biggest challenges is three time zones in 16 Mm -hmm. cities. Um, And and from a logistical standpoint, uh, I would never root against any of our partners in minor league baseball to lose their franchise and those markets or or their fans to to do that. But uh, that's certainly being taken care of above my pay grade. Um, You know, there would be changes. I, I think, you know, the thing for us as the Iowa Cubs and all of this uh, is a good feeling with the support of Michael Gartner and Sam and, and our ownership group uh, is that um, we can take a longer view to this. You know, that if we've only got a 25-game season, a 50-game season, whatever, no season, you know, 2021 is still out there. Uh, we hope for the world's sake is out there uh, for us to, to continue uh, that we can have a longer-term plan to make it right with all of our partners and our fans and, and figure out a way through this. Um, for the teams that are in the midst of uh, that other talk, and, and if, if that plan is the way it ends up having to be, um, you know that's certainly a whole other layer of, of challenge and, and problem um, on lots of levels. Uh, you know, so... Uh, uh, I, I hope that after 50-plus years of AAA baseball in, in Des Moines uh, and the long-time support we have from so many people that uh, I don't think anybody's blaming the Iowa Cubs for not having started yet uh, and understand no. the conditions, and we'll we'll find the right way to do the right thing once we just get more information. It's just it's just all guessing at this point. Mm-hmm. And I know that's frustrating as humans. Uh, we're not we're not built for patience uh, by and large, um, and and. Uh, your own situation and how this has affected your family or your business uh, and how that overlaps with your entertainment and your enjoyment. Uh, there's not going to be one right answer uh, to give to everyone, even when we get more information. So um, I, I hope the good things that we've been able to do uh, as a community partner and, and as an entertainment venue will uh, allow people to stick with us here in the short term and, and know that we'll, we'll try to find the, the right thing to do when it, when, when we know. Uh, Randy, last thing for you, and, and this was very quickly uh, shot down, but, but how much I don't know panic or angst when you saw the report, and it was an erroneous report, we want to emphasize that, that, that minor league baseball was going to be canceled uh, this year, and this guy was, you know, he was adamant that this, he got this from three or four sources. Whether he does or doesn't, it was very quickly shot down. But what was that like when you either saw it on Twitter or some of the office alerted you that, oh, my God, they've just shut down. There's a report saying minor league baseball has just been canceled for the year. What was that like? Well, um, the good news is that Sam Burnaby is on the board of trustees of minor league baseball. And if that's so the word he made, <laughs> yeah. he'd be one of the first four people in the world to know uh, that it would have been made. So Sam's made it very clear that if we don't hear it from him, yeah. don't worry about it. Um, and uh, so uh, we have the unique uh, opportunity to have uh, not only a terrific local leader, but a leader in the industry 
working in our in our building and leading our staff. Um, so uh, it didn't cause me any anxiety because I, I I trust Sam a lot more than I trust whoever it was that put out that, that report um, because this is happening a lot. Um, so there's a game of telephone that happens that says, you know, this is what we're going to do if this happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they forget to include the if this happens part when they translate that conversation. Um, and, and maybe the people told that guy or, or gal, the reporter, yeah. um, the, the truth as they knew it, but they didn't know the whole truth. Um, uh, and, and, and I think we're, we're all learning to deal with that filter uh, that um, some people are presenting a, a brave front because that they, that's the way they think people need to have confidence in them. Some people are always allowing for worst-case scenario because they're not comfortable with it happening and them not preparing people that listen to them for it. Um, everybody's giving the messages as they know them truthfully, but everybody's got different perspectives about it. At least that's what I hope uh, and and believe, because uh, I, I really don't think anybody knows nope. for sure about any of this. I think we're all guessing. Yep. Uh, so, um, you know, I know everybody would like more definite answers, and I'm uh, I'm raising my hand to be in that line, but um, uh, I, I know that, that some sort of patience is going to be really important here. Randy Wayhofer from the Iowa Cubs. We hope, and I'll speak for Trent because it's one of some of our favorite shows of the year when we do before a day game, our oh. show uh, down at the ballpark in one of the uh, left field skyboxes. Uh, can't, can't wait for that day. Randy, thank you. Uh, stay in touch. Would you please keep our audience surprised if anything changes? As soon as we know, we'll be shouting from the mountaintops when we get some certain information, that's for sure. Good to talk to you, Randy. Say hi to Sam. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Randy Wayhofer from the uh, Iowa Cubs. Trent, we'll get our final break out of the way. We'll come back. We've got to recap our restaurant radio we did this week. Some fun stops along yes. the way. We'll do that in our final few minutes here of the Miller & Condon radio program on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX and 0 and Miller and Condon, final few minutes here on a Friday. If you have kids under 17 years of age at home and did not file a tax return uh, last year, you'll want to listen to this because there's a deadline coming up. And you have to act now to get that $500 economic impact payment per child. The deadline is actually Tuesday, May the 5th. Uh, so if you want that payment, by Tuesday, May the 5th is the deadline to get your payment in 2020. What do you do? Go to irs.gov and enter your information in the non-filer tool. Again, you have until the 5th of May to get that done. Yeah, that's great information because, well, my son was born in August. We haven't done our tax returns. We're pushing things back as we have to pay in every year. and. Push it back as far as possible. So this affects you. Yes, but we didn't get that credit for little jackers. So I bet I will, there's a lot of folks out there, right? Uh-huh. I'm going to be going to irs.gov, and I'm going to be doing this myself. And I didn't I didn't realize it was this quickly. I figured Tuesday. maybe this would be also extended into that July number you know, we're talking about. But to get that credit, yeah, I'm going to get on it. 500 bucks 
can go a long way during I, this time. I guess you will get on that. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Well, uh, there you go. Anyways, it's uh, Trent Restaurant Radio. We do it twice a weekly. NCMIC makes it possible. We had a good group of folks on. Uh, we started our week out in Altoona, Bianchi Brothers Pizza and Italian food out mm-hmm. there. They are just north of uh, of Prairie Meadows when you're... Heading out on Prairie Meadows Drive before you get on Adventureland Boulevard. If you would have gone straight, would have run right into Bianchi Brothers in Ankeny. Yes. Uh, in Altoona. In Altoona. And a place I've been a couple of times. They're also doing frozen pizzas. So fill up that freezer with some really good pizza. They do a great job. They're also in Altoona. Sam's Bar and Grill. Been there many times in the past. And though you can't stop in and hang out with the fish, they do have great food there. And <laughs> Packer fans out there looking towards football season and the Packers. But uh, John joined us from Sam's Bar and Grill. Thunderhead and Ankeny in the Chicken Coop in Urbandale. Terrific food. Really good wings, as you, as you know. That's yes. their specialty. But this was the kicker to me. They're draining all of their beer taps. They don't want the beer sitting around until they open up. So they're asking you. They're offering. There's no catch here. Love those no-catch things. Mm-hmm. Restaurant radio is one of them. But David Thunderhead and Ankeny said, if you bring a milk jug or some kind of uh, container, they will fill your jug up with beer for no charge because they want to drain the taps. And uh, like beer lovers everywhere, the worst thing in the world is to see that precious nectar go down the drain. Oh, man, uh, thinking about again, got a five-gallon bucket at home, get that filled up, and I'll be good to go for the weekend. Take some wings in your five-gallon <laughs> pail, and you will indeed be said. Palmer's Deli, our good friend Joe Palmer from Palmer's Deli. They're down the street here in Ingersoll, multiple locations. They're doing the box lunches still. Of course, they got the brownie in the box lunch that everybody raves about. Then we go to Thursday. We talked to Andy from Mad Meatball. We got the story of the... Twitter account Hawkeyes, I-Z-E, and uh, what happened is it changed over to Mad Meatball, but good catching up with him. They are doing their pizza right now out of taps up in uh, the Clive areas where you can find their great food and, of course, the pizzas with Mad Meatball. You know my biggest takeaway from our Mad Meatball conversation was? What's that? Come on, think back to you. All the way back to yesterday. Oh, I know where you're going. The wings, the peanut butter and jelly wings. (laughs) Peanut butter. I'm going to try them. I'm I'm bound and determined to try them. I made Ella a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this morning before I left for breakfast. She was happy as a clam, that right? She was. Big smile on her face. Indeed. Horizon Line Coffee, uh, they're downtown on Walnut Street, but they're delivering three times a week. It was good to talk to Brad out there. They got a really good website. Uh, just Google Horizon Line Coffee. If you're a coffee drinker, you don't want to go out and buy your bag of coffee or pound of coffee and want to try something different, Horizon Line Coffee, uh, downtown Des Moines. We're giving you ideas for the weekend places to go with some different places to certainly hit up i've been to barntown brewing before but haven't been then uh during the pandemic and talked my wife into it after a conversation with jb nice. yesterday we're going to be hitting up one of those family meal deals that they have what pushed tara over the top as i mentioned the crowler of root beer and i said you know we can i know you mm-hmm. like root beer floats let's do that this weekend ah. with that that one pushed it over and she gave the double thumbs up after that so we're going to be hitting barn town you weekend. should have saved it till mother's day weekend <laughs> no that would have been good enough that wouldn't have been good that enough. wouldn't have been good All enough. Right. No. i gotta uh, have bigger plans than that okie dokie well i got plans with my wife this weekend like your wife did for you last weekend i'm getting a haircut oh you are i you're, am you're finally taking the plunge i have to do it yep do you have clippers yes you, okay so you're good there I I think we are. This isn't just going to be a hatchet job with some scissors. Oh, it'll be a hatchet job. (laughs) No confidence? Well, look, I didn't know, again, as I've said, my wife has never cooked in the 25 years we've been together until this happened. Which is wild. It's just crazy. And she's great at it. 
great at it. So hopefully she can. Uh, she's got another talent, and that'll be. Um, uh, I guess the proof will be on my uh, in the pudding. If I'm wearing a hat to work on Monday, it didn't go well. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Monday and seeing how it comes out for you. All right, we've got the the last dance on Sunday night. If you get a chance, I think that this Alex Smith E60 tonight on mm-hmm. ESPN is going to be worth. I'm not sure if it's a half hour or an hour, but man, the dude. It was close to death from getting a football injury. We'll recap it on Monday. We will, indeed. All right, Murph and Andy coming up today at 2, the Fanatics at 4. The week of local programming doesn't end there. No, no, no. This Saturday morning pregame, Emery Songer, Sean Roberts tomorrow morning at 8. And Monday will be here before we know it. The morning rush will be back on the radio. We're Miller and Condon, 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.